All right, Psalm 97. Psalm 97. Let's get a word from our sponsor this morning. Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. There's a lot of things going on, and there are a lot of things coming against Christianity. It's just real. And Father, we thank you that your son warned us ahead of time that families would be torn apart and that family members would actually deliver up other family members to death because of the word. And so, Father, this shouldn't surprise us. And so we thank you for the warning, and now we just ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us and to overflow us, that we would be strong enough to withstand the fiery trials that are going to maybe come into our lives as believers. We thank you for your word this morning, and Father, I pray for the gift of teaching. And Lord, we pray for every heart on this campus. Father, if there's a a hard heart, if there's a cold heart, there's a heart of indifference. Father, I pray that, that you would stir them right now, wherever they may be sitting, whatever age they may be, that they would realize we are all marching towards eternity and that we will all stand before you one day. So Lord, stir us even this morning that, that we would be encouraged and challenged, rebuked if necessary, strengthened, but that we would not be on the sidelines. We would be in the battle. That we might pass on however long we have, that we might pass the faith on to this next generation of believers. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 97, this psalm doesn't have a hint of defeat, but rather victory and makes certain references back to the days of Moses and the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. Verse 1 of Psalm 97, which again, if you're new or visiting, we're going through all 150 Psalms, and they are songs. We read them as literature, but they are literally, they were literally songs. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of the isles be glad. God reigns over all of the earth, and the isles could be interpreted as coastline or islands. And as we look at this opening verse here, this opening verse is not based upon feelings. It's based upon facts. The Lord does reign. Jesus, who is God the Son, created this planet and all things upon this planet, so he should be the one to rule and reign over it. And and if this is in reference to the time of Moses, the Egyptians had various gods who they believed raved over various aspects of their society. The God of rain, the sun god, the moon god, the lord of the flies, and all kinds of other creatures. But God demonstrated his power over all of their various gods, and Moses showed the Egyptians that Yahweh is God over all of creation. So what you and I, as we read this here, it's very important, again, as we share with our children or grandchildren, as we share with the young adult groups or any Bible study that we do around here, the Lord reigns. Not Twitter, not social media, Not our government. Romans chapter 13, we need to submit to those in authority and pray for them. Yes, but ultimately it is God who reigns. Verses 2 through 6, it's a very good description of what was taking place 
on the mount when Moses met with God. Clouds and darkness surround him. Notice capital H, so God. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Please notice that. Righteousness and justice. God is love. There's no question about that. But unfortunately, many people, including the church, have taken that pendulum, have swung it all the way out there, and they will not talk about God's justice. They won't mention sin. They won't talk about accountability. We don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. We don't want to offend anyone. We'd rather love them to hell. No. No. The church is here. The word of God is to be taught to build up the saints for the edifying of the body of Christ, but to also challenge the saints as we go out into our mission field. We are going out into a mission field that we are ambassadors for Christ. And that we have a calling on our lives like no one else. We understand eternity. We know there's a heaven and a hell. And so we have to take this very, very seriously. It goes on to say, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. See, because of this great show of power, the people feared and asked Moses, to be their mediator between God and them. Moses, you go up and talk to God. All these rumblings, the thunders, the lightnings, the moving of the mountain. No, no, you do it. And Moses accepted that position. But you see, the people didn't need to have an unhealthy fear of God. Nor do we, as you've heard me say many times, born and raised in a religion, I had a very unhealthy fear of God. And I had to get into the Bible to to debug the program and to really understand to have a healthy fear of God. A healthy fear of God is respect or reverence. You know, he's not my bud. He's not my pal. He's not the man upstairs. He's God. And we were to have a healthy reverence of God. And a healthy respect that he created all things. And he is the God, he is the Father who sent his one and only Son to die for the sins of humanity. And now as a son or a daughter, we can now do what Hebrews encourages us to do in Hebrews 4.16. To let us come, let us therefore come boldly be thrown before the throne of grace. Now we want to be careful of this boldly. This isn't that I come to the throne of grace and say, Hey, God, you owe me. I'm not calling God on the carpet one way or another. That's not what that is saying. Because the opposite many times takes place in a Christian's life. Where they're actually begging and pleading with God. And they're making God sound like he's, you know, the Godfather. Instead of Father God. 
And we need to, we need to debug that program. We don't have to beg. We don't have to plead. We can boldly come before the throne because he loves me and I love him to ask my request knowing that he is going to answer. That's the boldly. He's going to answer me. It may be a yes. It may be a no. It may be a wait. But he will answer. So I can come boldly before the throne of grace, not the throne of judgment, that we may obtain mercy. Who needs mercy? We all need mercy. And we all need grace. And find grace to help in that time of need. So for you and I, we can come boldly. We, we should have a healthy fear, not an unhealthy fear. The people had an unhealthy fear. And guys, as you and I, we go out into our workplaces, there are many people, I can guarantee you, there are many people with an unhealthy fear of God. And you and I, we have the opportunity to show them no. We can have a healthy fear because he loves us. Verse 7, let all be put to shame who served carved images. Those who worship man made idols are definitely going to be ashamed and their earthly boasting will obviously have no weight when they step in front of God's judgment seat. Worship Him, all you gods. Now we might not think that this applies to our culture because as a whole, I haven't gone into too many houses where I've seen a, a little block of wood or a little block of stone and the family members have incense burning and they're bowing down to it. So when we read a verse like this, this is often what comes into our heads and we immediately dismiss it because it's not applicable. But we got to look at it differently. At least I look at it differently. I look at it as anything that I place above God, that is becoming an idol. Whether it's my career, even before being in the ministry, or even being in the ministry. If I put the ministry above God, which can happen, you might not understand that, but it can happen. I've now created an idol. Car, a house, my savings account, a 401k, my retirement package, children, grandchildren. When we elevate them above God, they're an idol. So this is very applicable to you and I in this day we're living in. What are we worshiping? What are we really worshiping? Well, we worship God, but you know, we have to protect our kids. Well, we worship God, but we really have to save, you know, for our retirement. Well, we worship God, but I understand protection. I understand saving. We're doing all that. We've done all that. But don't ever place anything above God. Because that's an idol. The Bible makes that perfectly clear. We have to be responsible. We have to do all those things. But be very careful. Because we saw that it happened over and over and over again in the life of Israel. And God spanked them very, very seriously. And God will do the same for us. Don't ever place anything above God. Verses 8 and 9. We're now going to move from Moses to David. Zion hears and is glad. Zion is definitely a reference to Jerusalem. There's no question about that. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, Lord are most high above all the earth. You are exalted above all gods. 
The people were rejoicing over the fact that God was ruling and reigning over their lives. And all the gods of the surrounding lands put together were no match for the magnificence of our God. You know, Paul, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 3 and 4, I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Paul was caught up to heaven. I believe, literally, taken up into heaven. And I think we would be speechless when you and I, when we literally step into heaven. The colors are going to be so rich. The air is so clean. Our senses are going to be perfect. And our little finite minds will be on overload. You see, Paul knew he couldn't express what he saw. And the psalmist says what Paul expressed. Notice, you, for you, Lord, are most high above all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Verse 10, you who love the Lord hate evil. Uh, This is very straightforward, isn't it? You don't need to know Greek or Hebrew. How many of you love the Lord? Just raise your hand if you love the Lord. And this is what I love about the Bible, because some people say, well, you know, the Bible, this may have been written 3,000 years ago, as far as we know. Yeah, it's archaic, it's outdated, it's not relevant. Uh, How can I apply it to my life? Well, let's read the verse again. Let's see. You who love the Lord hate evil. Now, I want to be careful here, because I know somebody can take this out of context and say, see, you're a Christian, you hate people. No. No, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Read what it just said. It didn't say hate people. It said hate sin. So we love people, and we should love ourselves, and I'm not going down the road of psychology, because that's totally whacked out. But we have to have a healthy balance. I mean, that's just reality. But we should hate the sin in our lives or the sin in anyone else's life. Speak the truth in love. Don't play with it. Don't meditate on it. Don't glorify it. Don't let it impact our lives. When we do our part, you see, there is a responsibility in Christianity. Not for works of salvation. And if you're new here and you don't understand Christianity, you cannot work for your salvation. It's impossible. You can never be saved through your works. So so if you are saved, get that off the table. Mature past that. You can't work for your salvation. I personally believe scripturally you cannot lose your salvation. You need to grow up and mature in that area and realize there's a sanctification process that goes on. A maturing process that goes on. And so for you and me, as we continue to mature, God will always take care of his part. He preserves the saints. But, If we go and do those things that are evil, will God protect us from the consequences? And this is very important. Will God protect us from the consequences that just might follow? Maybe he will. He's a gracious God. But if we continue down that road, he might just say, you know what? Here comes the spanking. Enough is enough. You're doing it your way? Well, this is the consequence of your way of doing it. 
Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Satan's number one tool is deception. Revelation tells us this. His number one tool is not to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the second one. His number one tool is deception. How do we get deceived? Well, I don't need to read my Bible. I go to church on Sunday. You've been deceived. Get your head in the Bible. God is not mocked. For whatever a man or woman, for whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh... And in case you're not familiar with these terms, the flesh are those desires that we were born with, but then we take out of context. There's a natural desire to breathe, to eat, to drink, to have intimate relations with the opposite sex. That's natural. That's God-given. But the enemy then tries to take that and desecrate it and bring pornography into it, adultery, fornication, same-sex acts, that's the flesh. And our flesh has those desires, but once we receive Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes within us, now we can either feed the flesh or we can feed the Spirit. What's feeding the Spirit? Feeding the Spirit is reading your Bible, is having a private prayer time, It's coming maybe to a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study, a retreat, a gathering, a home fellowship, maybe meeting somebody for breakfast or lunch and getting discipled, getting mentored. That's feeding the Spirit, feeding the Spirit, feeding the Spirit. And it goes on to say, but he who sows, well, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Consequences, bad consequences. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap Life everlasting. Which one are you going to feed? Which one am I going to feed? Second Timothy 2.22 says this. Flee also youthful lust. Flee them. What were you just reading the psalm? You who love the Lord hate evil. But pursue, instead of youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart a pure heart notice that a pure heart those of you who are single and are maybe planning on dating be very very careful the person that that you're going to date make sure they have a pure heart if they want to go to bed with you that's not a pure heart don't pursue that relationship even when they say i love you it's lust it's lust 1 Corinthians 15, 33 and 34. Do not be deceived. Interesting. Man, this just keeps coming up. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness. Again, what are we focusing on? You who love the Lord hate evil. So not hate people, but hate what people might be doing and don't fellowship with it. Don't partake of it. Why? Because it corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Who is Paul writing to in this verse? He's writing to the church at Corinth. He's not writing to a bunch of pagans. He's writing to the believers in the church. And he's saying, hey, some of you in the church don't even know God. You're just playing church. You should be ashamed of that. 
So guys, we have to be aware of even who's in the church and making sure that, that they're living out the Bible. Again, just because they say they're a Christian doesn't make them a Christian. Verses 11 and 12 of Psalm 97. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. You see, the more we allow the Holy Spirit to sow the light of Christ in our hearts and meditate upon the wonderful works of Jesus, the closer we'll be drawn to Him and the fruit of joy will be produced in our hearts which will cause more light to shine forth out of our lives, which will then cause us to rejoice even more. You see, it's not a vicious cycle. Have any of you ever been caught in a vicious cycle? Anybody ever been caught in a vicious cycle? Don't be embarrassed or ashamed. I think we all have one way or another, whether it was something, you know, gossip, doesn't have to be really, really nasty stuff, but it was just like, I don't want to do that, I keep doing that, I don't want to do that, I keep doing that. Well, turn it into a blessed cycle. Turn it into a blessed cycle by being in the Word of God, by praying, by doing all of those things that I've already mentioned. You see, it is one that takes a lot of soul searching on a regular basis, not just on a Sunday morning or not just at a men's retreat once a year, but daily, hourly, maybe even minute by minute, searching our souls and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal God's goodness towards us because it's all around us if we would stop and take notice. And then we would find ourselves rejoicing in the Lord and giving thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. Psalm 98. Now this could be a psalm written after the Israelites were allowed to return to their homeland. It was a long time in coming, but it took place and the nations around that area took note of it. So Psalm 98, a song. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. As we've talked about before, right hand and right arm is strength. The Lord has shown his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. You see, God made a covenant with the nation of Israel, and as we have noted over the months of studying the Psalms, He is faithful to keep His promises. So maybe this new song was created for this wonderful event, a song to remember the marvelous things that God had done in restoring Israel to their homeland, or maybe this was just a reminder of another from another time frame. Either way, God receives the praise for his faithfulness. In verses 4 through 6, I see here a call for the whole band to take up instruments and proclaim the goodness of God. The king has set us free. Rejoice. Shout joyfully to the Lord, verse 4, all the earth. Break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and with the sound of his psalm. With trumpets and the sound of a horn, shout joyfully before the Lord the King. Verses 7 through 9. Let the sea roar in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and his peoples with 
equity. His peoples with equity. The word equity there is evenness. Evenness. You see, the psalmist hears even nature proclaiming the return of the Lord, not literally, but metaphorically. But when the Lord does return, he will judge righteously, everything will be fair, and everyone will receive their just reward. Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. Here the psalmist reminds his readers of the cherubim, those angelic beings that stood with their wings overspread or outspread to cover the mercy seat or the lid that was on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Let's look at 1 Samuel. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 3 through 11, and learn a very interesting story about the Ark and the enemies of God. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim, let the earth be moved. On the first Samuel chapter 4, and again, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Just reach over, grab a Bible. The, the people, the team always puts a slide up. That's where you'll find Samuel. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of the Lord of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. There was a minor earthquake that took place. Unfortunately, there's a little commentary as we think about this. Unfortunately, over the years, the Israelites lost the reverence of the ark and actually were treating it like a good luck charm. Well, if we just bring the ark to the camp, even though we're in sin, as you read your word, they were in sin, God will take care of us because we have our good luck charm with us. Because God's in the ark of the covenant. He's in that box. Now again, you might think, well, how would this apply to us? How could this possibly apply to us? Well, What is this? It's a Bible cover, but what's inside the Bible cover? A Bible. And many Christians go home on a Sunday, and after Sunday, they throw it on the countertop, they throw it on the nightstand, they throw it on the whatever they throw it on, and they don't pick it up until the next Sunday. Or until an emergency happens. And then what do they do? They run for their Bible. It's my good luck charm. Or they call the pastor or the elders or the deacons. They're they're my good luck charm. If I call them, I know everything will be okay. It's the exact same thing. Where are we placing our trust? Does the Lord really reign in our lives? You see, the Lord wanted to reign in the lives of the Israelites. And the Lord would have conquered the Philistines, hands down. But because they had abandoned him, 
and we're playing church. He said, fine, have it your way. You think I'm in the box? Take your box with you. And let's see what happens to the box as we read on. Verse 6. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then, listen, this is just amazing. Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, what did they say? God, their God has come into their camp. This is not good. Their God has literally come into the camp. Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hands of of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. So even though they understood somewhat what was going on, obviously, as we read, they didn't get the full picture. One God did all the miracles and delivered the Israelites from Egypt. But what I want to point out here is they understand, they at least understood. As the world looks at us and understands, you're a Christian, aren't you? Aren't you a Christian? Why do you behave that way? I mean, even those in the world know there's certain things that we should not do as Christians. But we still do it. And then we feel awkward when they call us out on it. Thank God they call us out on it. They should call us out on it. Because we want to be like Jesus, don't we? We don't want to play church. We don't want to have a good luck charm. Pull my Bible down when it's a hard day. When I need, what's that verse? What's that verse? Let me get out the concordance. I think I can find that verse. I read it one time. No, guys. No. This is our Bible. This is our best friend. Now, someone else says, another Philistine steps up and says, suck it up, you wimps. What are you talking about? Be strong. And conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phileas, Phineas died. Sad picture. You see, several years later, when Israel desired a king, King David eventually restored the ark to its rightful place of prominence. And he encouraged the nation to worship the God of all creation and not the ark itself. Because it's so easy to take an object and set it up as a thing to worship. I already mentioned some, so I won't say it again. The Israelites found themselves doing that often, and yet God would continue to bring them back through various people to that place of true worship. Why? Well, verses 2 and 3. The Lord is great in Zion. He is high above all the peoples. Let him, let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. He is holy, guys. He is holy. Holy here means set apart, separate, sacred. You see, God's nature is totally different than ours, obviously. Yet he is willing to dwell amongst a single, a sinful people. And that should cause anyone to raise their voice in praise. All of us. On our worst day, we should lift our voice and say, thank you, God, that you dwell with me. 
Thank you, God, that you love me and care for me. Verses 4 and 5, we continue in worship. The king's strength also loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship. The word worship here means to bow down. To bow down. And worship at his footstool. Why? Because he is holy. Not because he's the president or a judge or anything like that. No, he is God. He is literally God. You see, this is the ultimate physical form of worship that is seen throughout the scriptures. It was a form that was used before human kings as well. It is a sign of total submission and total reliance upon the generosity of the one who is being worshipped. Those, how can we apply this to us today? Those who are called to lead were called to a lead by example. And that example was to be in the word of God regularly. You will find that in the scriptures. The king was to meditate on the word of God day and night. And he was literally the king. Now the scribes would do this as well. But the king was instructed to write out the word of God. Why? So he would never leave it. How about for you and me as kings and priests? Are we to be in the word of God daily? Yes. Out of legalism? No. Out of religiosity? No. Out of a love relationship. Out of a love relationship. Spending time with my God. Because he is holy and I am not. But I want to be more like Jesus. What can I do but spend time at his feet? Being in that total submissive position. And I'm not necessarily meaning position. Because I know some people have bad knees. I want to clarify that. Somebody might, I've had people come up to me afterwards. Well, you know what? I can't get down on my knees. Heart. Heart. Bow the heart. Whatever, you know, if you can't do that, my knees are bad. I understand it perfectly. It's all about the heart. Verses 6 through 8. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance he gave them. Notice that they kept his testimonies. You answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them God who forgives. Isn't that a great? God who forgives. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. Though you took vengeance on their deeds, though you spanked them, you still forgave them. Who forgives, those two words there, they mean to lift up, to be taken away, to be carried off. God takes away our sins and casts them as far as the east is from the west. We'll wrap it up with verse 9 as the music team comes up. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Now, in reference, this would, this would, I believe, the psalmist is referencing Zion, Jerusalem. But we all know, and they did as well, most of them knew, that we can worship God anywhere. But they're making a point. Spend time in Zion. Spend time together as a company of believers. But the most important thing is exalt. The word exalt here means, don't check out. You heard me say this in the last verse. Don't zip up your Bibles. Don't check out. Because here's homework for the week. Here's homework for the week. To lift up, to set on high. To lift up, to set on high. So what does it say? 
exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. So this week, I would encourage all of us, all of us, and I'm going to do this as well. How can I exalt the Lord in my life? What does that look like? What does that look like? And that means throughout the day, maybe thinking about this. Because you never know. We've had the opportunity to pray with people in a store. And that meant so much to them. And we were just going about our daily business. But just being available for the Lord to use you. Maybe you're in school, in, in, in junior high or high school or college. And I know you've seen the story. It's, it's been on the internet of, of the man or the, 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 you know, the sports figure that, that came into the school and sat with the kid that was all by himself. Maybe you, maybe God is going to call you to sit next to that person, to reach out to that individual and say, hey, how are you doing today? How can I exalt the Lord? Because I know a lot of times you know, we, we bring it into the church. Well, if I just raise my hand during worship, that will be exalting the Lord. Yeah, maybe if your heart's into it. But if it's not, it's pointless. Now let's make this applicable throughout the whole work. Weak. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Father, we thank you and praise you that you are holy. And you graciously decided to send the Holy Spirit to us, to fill us. And we literally have God within us. We will never be God's. But you, you share your holiness with us to make us holy. Fathers, we go out into our mission field this week. Help us to be more aware of your holiness. Help us to be more aware of worship. And that's not necessarily a song. That's an attitude. The attitude of our hearts. Help us to surrender, as we so often sing, but so little do. Help us to surrender. And help us to be available this week for anyone that might need to see Jesus, to hear about Jesus. Lord, just give us wisdom and discernment that you will be glorified through your word, through our lives, practically speaking. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, we all stand, guys. God bless you. Have a great day. Stay focused on Jesus. And if you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you do not have Jesus as your Savior, today, today is the day of salvation. Come up and pray with someone to receive Jesus as your Savior. God bless you guys. Have a great week. And Darrell, what chapter are you on this week, Darrell? Joshua, chapter 8, Wednesday night. I encourage you guys to come out. Darrell is doing a great job in the book of Joshua. God bless you guys. It's a new rising And I'm set on you And you meet me here today Mercies and a new home All my fears and doubts They can all come to Because they can't stay alone when I'm here with you And it's a new horizon And I'm set on you And you meet me here
here today mercies that are new oh all my fears and doubts they can all come to because they can't stay long when I believe you are the way the truth the life God bless you.